welcome to the Enneagram One Project Podcast with your host, Dominic Vandal, where ones come to learn mindset tools and embodiment techniques to reduce frustrations, quiet their inner critic, and live a most expansive life. If you're ready to make your unique oneness your superpower, then this is the show for you. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Enneagram One Project Podcast, Episode 17, Enneagram Type One Starter Guide. Today's episode is not about how to use the Enneagram information, but what the information means and the different layers you can dig through to better understand how your brain works so that you may decide what to do with that information. I obviously did not create the Enneagram. And so I will do my very best to give credit as I go so that you can benefit from learning from those same sources and for transparency. The Enneagram shows us where our attention goes out of habit. In other words, how our brain has programmed efficient thinking that keeps us alive. That does not necessarily mean that this particular habit is always the best to utilize to get us closer to the life that we want. But it is what our brains are most used to and will go to by default. There are theories about the programming happening in early childhood, possibly due to trauma. I do not claim to know what the exact mechanism is myself. But it does make sense to me that as a child, as we learn to navigate the world, that the brain collects data and puts it together to create shortcuts in the brain function that is thoughts and patterns. It also makes sense to me that many of those programs came to be due to trauma because there is some research that indicates that the heightened emotional response leaves a bigger impression in the brain. Now, the Enneagram is such an in-depth system because it's not about what the world sees you doing or not doing. It's actually based on the motivation behind you doing the thing or not doing the thing. It correlates quite well with cognitive behavior theory that shows that situations or events happen and then the brain has a thought about it. This thought creates a feeling and that feeling drives your behavior. It pushes, fuels your behavior. That's every single time. The Enneagram system then helps you to see what your pattern of thinking and feeling is where your brain habitually goes to by default. This is brilliant because most of us are very unaware of the drive behind what we do. We constantly blame the situation or the event, which leaves us disempowered. Knowing your type helps you to see what that pattern is. It shows you what your survival mechanisms are. No one else. You then have the knowledge to Catch yourself mid-pattern, calm your nervous system, and then make a conscious decision. Do I keep following this pattern or not? And there is no right or wrong, but you get to be in the driver's seat instead of old programming running the show because you are so much more than the programming. If you're interested in knowing more about embodiment, which is what I'm referring to here, I do recommend that you go back to episode two why embodiment for once. And to be honest, I really do see this benefit for all types. 
Now let's look at the different layers of the Enneagram. First, most of what I discuss for this layer of the Enneagram is my interpretation of a combination of sources, including The Road Back to You by Crone and Stabile and The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Riso and Hudson. The very first layer of the Enneagram is your type, and your type remains constant in your lifetime. Each type describes a different habit of attention, where that brain goes to. For us ones, that's the habit to improve. At least for my flavor of one, you could also say the habit to perfect. If you want more on this specific thing here, this urgency that I talk about, you can go back to episode six of the podcast, The Urge to Improve is Real. That's where I really go into it. For now, what's important to note is that your brain has this habit towards something. For ones, it's towards improvement. The many words to describe us ones include reformer, perfectionist, idealist, improver, principled reformer, the list goes on. Just knowing your type and doing a quick internet search will give you all sorts of characteristics that are typical of your type. So let's go to what they say about ones. Ones have a very loud inner critic, high standards for themselves and others, are afraid of making mistakes and have anger issues. Before you panic, before you think to yourself, wait, that's not me or that's not fair. Let me describe those same characteristics, but from my perspective as a one, before I was introduced to, to uh, coaching and embodiment, I would have said, I have a discerning inner critic that serves me as my moral compass. My standards are really basic, human decency and really basic expectations. I like to make sure I do my best work because the recipient is deserving. And I don't have anger issues. Nope. I am just well-mannered. If you're a one, then you know that these characteristics can be an asset and they can be a hindrance. Now, there is more knowledge for you in your type. This was just part one. You can discern the basic motivation, usually referred to as basic fear or basic desire. For ones, that would be the basic fear of being bad and basic desire to be good. That means that as a one, the motivation behind improving that habit of attention, yes, the motivation behind improving is to be good and not bad or be seen as good and not bad. What that is exactly will be different for each and every person, even if you are a one, because what you think is good and what you think is bad is based on your lived experience and how you interpret it. Some of it is socialization, conditioning. Your parents might've said, good people do these things, bad people do these things. Full consensus on what constitutes as good or bad action simply does not exist. In other words, not all ones would see the same set of actions as good behavior or as bad behavior. Always up to the individual. The next part that you can discern with your personality type is your point of stress and your point of growth. That is to say, when you hold tension, when you're stressed, versus when you are in expansion, it's open. For us, that would be taking on more of the characteristics of the four, the individualist, when stressed. 
that looks like wanting to improve and making it all about you, such as victim mentality. And that's when we let out the bottled up frustrations. So for example, I'm the only one who cares about doing this right. That would be a one in stress or intention. When in growth, that would be taking on characteristics of the seven, the enthusiast. That means we let go of that tight self-control and become more spontaneous. That might be like a change of flight, last minute change of flight. And instead of needing to micromanage, you use the new information and find a way to still enjoy yourself in the present, even though the plans have changed. I go further into this topic from the point of view of the Enneagram mindset and embodiment in episode four, Enneagram type ones and stress. There's one more aspect with knowing your type and that's levels of development. Based on your behaviors, you could be able to tell what level of healthy development you are at. I don't use these myself because these seem to be based on self-assessment and humans can so easily convince themselves one way or the other. If you are seeking evidence to prove your point, you can usually find it. Two people could examine the same behavior and one person would say it was very wise, which is considered the height of healthy development for a one. And someone can say on the flip side that the person was being hard on themselves, which is considered average development. I'd love to hear how you use these so that I might refine my own use of them. Any tool can be great so long as we use it for us and not against us. That I haven't found a way to use this part of the Enneagram in a way that serves me doesn't mean you can't. The second layer of the Enneagram system is your wing. The wing type can vary and the degree of influence from the wing can also vary over time. So keep that in mind as I describe it. As a one, there are only two options for your wing. You are either a wing two or a wing nine. You can be any of the others. Can be a wing five, you can be a wing seven, none of the others, only a two or a nine. When you look at the diagram of the Enneagram, you'll find your number is shouldered by two numbers. Those are the only wing options for your type. And of course, the Enneagram has nine types, so you go from one to nine. So what is the number that shoulders one would be two, and on the other side would be nine. The wing type helps to explain variations in ones because we are not all the same. Your core motivation remains that of your type, but each of us also has a little coloring from the wing. If you are a one wing two, you might consider yourself an advocate. Notice how that merges the type one reformer with the two helper. A wing two is likely to be more extroverted, more likely to get into the trenches to improve and more outspoken about what changes are needed. If you are a one wing nine, you might consider yourself an idealist. Now notice this one merges the type one reformer with type two, the peacemaker. A wing nine tends to be more introverted, concerned with bigger picture improvements and enacts change using a softer approach. One is certainly not better than the other. They both have sets of advantages and disadvantages. To give but one example, if you believe affordable housing ought to be available to everyone, a one wing two 
is more likely to volunteer for an organization that builds such housing. Whereas a 129 is more likely to advocate for and work towards reforms in the legal system to make this a reality. Both admirable ways to create the same change. Just two approaches, both of which are needed. Of course, this is a simplification. And you may have noticed, even within yourself, that maybe in one part of your life, you were more of a one wing two and are now a one wing nine or, you know, the pendulum kind of swings a little bit. Totally normal. I can say that in my young adult life, I was very much a one wing two and I am now way more of a one wing nine. So now we have two layers of our Enneagram system. We have the personality type and we have the wing. Let's talk about the third layer now. That is instinctual variant. This is a layer that I will really introduce. And I mean really just introduce because it is quite complex when it comes to instinctual variant. I absolutely love the work of John Lukovich. For understanding this concept, you can find more in his book, The Instinctual Drives and the Enneagram. The theory states that we humans have needed to rely on different strategies to survive. Those are self-preservation, social, and one-to-one, also known as sexual. So not only are we acting from our different core motivation, as described in our type, and influenced by our wing, we are also being driven by the three basic instincts. It's the primal need that the habit of attention is trying to solve for. Let's do an example for each instinctual variant. You know your primary instinctual variant is self-preservation if you are hyper-focused on improving your environment, well-being, health, or finances. Basically, all that relates to sustaining physical safety and comfort. That could look like so many things. Let's think of improving your workout routine so that it is optimal. Each time noticing how you could improve it, and adjusting for that. You know your primary instinctual variant is social if you are hyper-focused on improving the group by calling out injustice and holding high standards and guarding your place within it. All that relates to guarding a place for self within the group. That could look like improving how credit is shared within a group. You know your primary instinctual variant is one-to-one if you are hyper-focused on improving yourself to be the perfect mate or have high standards for your mate to be the perfect mate for you. All that relates to solidifying one-to-one connection. That could look like improving your dating profile until it is optimal. Notice how I keep saying primary instinctual variant. That's because we are all concerned with all three. However, we each attribute a different level of importance to each of them. And so what we tend to do is stack them. Let me go over that. The first on the stack would be the one that's so much a part of your personality that you might not even notice you're preoccupied by it. It's almost second nature. The second on the stack would be the instinct you consciously focus on most. And the third would be your blind spot, the one that's ignored, even though we technically need all three to survive. If you're keeping tabs, you might notice that we end up not only with nine Enneagram types, but really 27 subtypes. I have found that as I learn more about each layer of the Enneagram, I have a deeper awareness of the habits of 
my mind. My mind is one aspect of my being. It happens to be where the mainframe is located. So I like to know what's going on in there. I use this knowledge not to change myself. That's not the goal. I use it to be more of the watcher of my brain and to be more aware of my patterns. Going back to the idea that I can decide if I notice the pattern being activated. I can decide what I do with that. The mainframe does not have to run on default. The Enneagram system has got to be my favorite tool to develop self-acceptance and grace. It can be incredibly complex and you really don't need to know all of the ins and outs for it to be useful for you, unless you want to geek out on it the way I like to. Can you see that your behaviors make sense based on your pattern of thinking? Are you becoming more aware of what's happening by default in your brain? If yes, then you're using the Enneagram system for you and not against you. And not to control others, I've seen that, but get to know yourself more. The rest will fall into place. How much fun is it that we can foster a better relationship with ourselves using the knowledge of the Enneagram as a compass of what to explore? If you are called to dive in further, it really is a project for the soul. Until next time, love to each and every one. Thank you so much for listening to the Enneagram One Project Podcast, your go-to podcast for all things one. Now, if you're wanting to integrate what you're learning here and be supported by your very own personal Enneagram One Life Coach, then I invite you to head over to my website, DominicVandal.com, D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-V-A-N-D-A-L. Look at the very top of the page for the Work With Me tab. I'd love to be the one in your corner, helping you to navigate your oneness. Let's make it your superpower. 